Greetings, dear listeners. Thomas Gloom here. I love getting into a story that makes me feel. Not just emotions, but physical sensations. Marcus Hawk accomplished that with his short story, Every Hunt is a Cold One. Get your jackets on, dear listeners, because the temperature is about to drop. And stick around at the end of this episode for a little preview of an upcoming Blood Rites horror release. But for now, settle back and bundle up and let this story chill your soul. And please, remember to leave a light on. Every Hunt is a Cold One by Marcus Hawk Read by Thomas Gloom White Endless, blinding white as far as the eye could see. Hope was sick of it. No, sick wasn't right. Sick didn't even begin to do justice to the hatred she had for it. And the feeling was mutual. Darkness was easy. It could be honed, hidden in, used to her advantage. All she had to do was stay still and silent, and it would welcome her like an old friend. But up here, everything was exposed. Each breath showed in plumes of ghostly mist. Every step crunched in the snow, telling anyone and anything within earshot where she was. Up here, there was nowhere to hide. And it was cold. Nothing new, of course. It was always cold now, everywhere. She could barely even remember a time before the freeze now. So long ago, it seemed more like a story Daddy had read her. Most of what she knew had come from him. But somewhere deep in the frozen recesses of her memory, she recalled something other than white and black and the occasional red of blood. A time when winter was just one of the seasons, of greens and blues, sun and water. Other things she absolutely took for granted, like wheat fields and pavement. They were still there, of course, just buried under tons of snow. She couldn't think about that now. If she started, she'd never stop. And the hunt was on. The tracks led east, toward the city, she knew it was called Calgary, or had been once, but to her, it was just the city. Daddy said never go to the city, but today she didn't have a choice. She and Adam hadn't eaten in days, and even if she caught something, the meat couldn't always be trusted. And even if it could, it would barely be enough to go around. Everything was running out. Food, water, wood time. They had gas up until a short while ago, enough to light the lamps at least. Now everything was scarce, most of it for good, like ammo. There would never be more of that unless she was lucky enough to find some. Every tree nearby was either cut down, frozen solid, or buried under snow long ago. So most of the time having a fire was impossible. Only if she decided to burn that which she needed to survive, or could not bear to see go up in flames. Oh, what she would give to feel one right now. Water wasn't a problem, but even in the shelter, it couldn't always be melted enough to drink. Everything ached. 
She hadn't eaten in days, and her bones showed through her skin. And Adam, he didn't look well, weak and feverish when last she saw him. That was two days ago. She could hardly bear being away for so long, but had been needing to venture further and further from home to catch anything at all for a while now. This world was something no boy of six should have to face. He was her only saving grace, but sometimes she was sorry for bringing him into it. He had never even left the shelter. Wind howled against her, biting through every crease and crack it could find. Though she was covered from head to toe, bound up in thick white layers like a mummy, it still got through. It always got through. The tracks were at risk of disappearing before her, but fortunately they were deep enough to last for a bit at least. Her own steps left very little trace thanks to a trusty pair of snowshoes fashioned out of a pair of tennis rackets. Daddy said they were used in a game pencil-neck candy asses used to play. An hour passed. Then two during which she lost feeling from the waist down. Not completely, just enough to feel frostbite setting in. Well into the third hour, she found herself at the city limits. It appeared all of a sudden out of the blowing snow, looming before her like a ghost. The deer had gone right into it, its hoofprints now round and hard, fresh. As she crossed a bridge over the river, Hope took the bow from around her torso and fit it with an arrow. Her hand briefly fell to her side, patting the ice pick that dangled there clipped to her belt, telling her, I'm here if you need me. Signs, street lamps, street lights, whole buildings, all encrusted with snow and ice. She kept her head low, just beneath the drifts lining each side of the street. They had been cars once, now little more than dead machines, useless as the corpses inside them. There were a number of things to watch for, and her prey was just one of them. Amazing to think any animals could have survived in this at all, let alone for so long. As she followed the deer tracks, she spied another set, long and flat. A rabbit, not a very big one, and they went in the other direction, but something to eat was not to be passed up. They grew fresher and fresher as she followed them down a side street. This, added with the wind easing up for the first time in days, reduced to a frigid breeze, made her job far easier. And then she spotted it. So still it was nearly invisible, had it not been for that single wide leperine eye looking her way from the side beneath long ears, wondering if she saw. It just sat there, twitching its distinctively non-bloodied nose. Didn't appear to be sick. Slowly, she raised the bow. Not enough to aim yet, just enough to size things up. To declare the intent to herself. The rabbit crouched making itself small. She stopped moving. If it ran, she would have to be quick. It remained still. Her muscles flexed just enough to move the bow up again while her other hand, or at least two fingers of it, began tensing the arrow against the bowstring. 
A massive white paw swiped out at the rabbit from between two drifts. It ran away in a flash while Hope froze, inside and out. Out stepped a mountain of a monster, the biggest bear Hope had ever seen in her life. There hadn't been many times, and they had all been from afar, and always with Daddy there, ready with his shotgun. He said that before the freeze, they used to live way further up north. How something so big made so little sound was a mystery. Despite its size, the bear was sickly, thin, weak, and hungry. His bones showed through the patchy white fur that was pink in some places from having fallen out, huffing out one hard labored breath after another through jagged teeth. The skin around one eye hung loose in the socket, and the eyeball along with it, and there, wetting the nose, was a stain of red. The snout dripped with it. Clear signs of the cold. Probably from eating too many that had caught it. The bear turned and looked right at her. His growl sounded desperate and weak, but still enough to send her running without a second thought. Hunter had become prey. Nothing but the sound of massive footfalls, punishing the snow beneath it with every step, followed by the forced huff of each hungry breath. Hitting him with an arrow, if she hit him, wouldn't even slow him down, only piss him off. Outrunning him became less and less of a possibility with every inch he gained on her. But size wasn't everything. She took a hard left down an alley, between two buildings, skidding across the snow, digging a deep scar into it. The bear was fast, heavy, determined. Luckily, though, he couldn't pivot worth a damn, coming almost to a complete stop in order to follow. She got a good 30 feet ahead, but the alley was long and solid with nowhere to run. When he charged after her again, he meant it. She felt the impact of his weight in the frozen ground. This may have been a bad idea. The end was in sight, the narrow white around her ready to open back up into a blinding one the nearer she got to it. A blast of hot air hit her, the first warm thing she had felt in days. At least it would be the last thing she would remember. A gunshot. She hadn't heard one for years and stopped in her tracks. So loud, even the bear halted. Another tore through the air, pinging off the wall behind her. She hit the deck, and the bear continued forward, trying to squeeze out of the narrow alley. Then came a third shot. The bear hit the ground. The last of the air escaping his lungs a prelude to the unnerving, unyielding silence that followed. Hope knew all kinds of silences. There was the silence of the city, lacking not only sound, but life. The gentle one that falls over the entire world when it snows on Christmas morning. The harsh one, which tethers the absence of affection between two people. The type that passed between her and Adam when they had nothing to talk about, which was often. Or just a lack of sound, pure and simple. But this was no common silence. A frigid breeze blew through the city, bringing with it a different kind of chill altogether, overtaking the one she felt in her body. Nowhere near so hard as before, diminished to a nosy whisper. Her perforated breath, 
forced out between chattering teeth as she shifted gears down from full throttle to idle, hacked and stalled until it finally produced a sound. Hello? No response. Just the wind biting through every thin fold of her clothing, telling her to leave. This was a silence she had never known before. Deliberate. Irksome. The guilty quiet of someone who was there but chose not to speak. She lifted one foot to start moving away. Another shot rang out. Instantaneously, the ground where her step would have fallen exploded in a pop of snow. For a second, just a second, she had caught a flash come from somewhere in the murky white distance. The message was clear. Don't move. Her heart raced and pumped ice water through her veins. Then she heard something. Crunch. 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 Hushed. Almost languid. Each crunch grew just a little louder. Closer. She ditched the makeshift snowshoes and made a dash for it. The crunch of her own footsteps interrupted those that approached until she couldn't hear them. Any second, she expected them to be ceased by a final shot. The world of white gone replaced by one of darkness forever. The cover of what had once been an underground parkade came into view on the other side of the road, nearly swallowed by drift after drift, but accessible. She ducked between snow-covered cars and slid smoothly down a hill. Another shot. It missed, hitting the ground right next to her. She didn't stop to look back as she made for cover. Couldn't afford to. From somewhere behind came the series of metal clicks of a reload. Almost there. So near that the shadows touched her covered face now. The next shot she felt as well as heard. Screaming its ugly red pain into her foot just below the ankle. Falling to one knee as she reached the shelter of darkness. No time for pain, she thought. Ducking behind a concrete pillar for cover. Crunch. 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 She didn't even have time to appreciate being out of the endless wind and snow for the first time since leaving home, howling away just on the other side of the pillar like the churn of a violent sea. Her hand fell to the ice pick again. It wasn't there. Hope fit the bow with another arrow, having lost the first one somewhere during the chase. Anything center mass was going to be protected by thick layers of padding. No good. Same with the legs, and a wound there wouldn't prevent him from firing. A headshot would do it, but it's harder to hit. Crunch. 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 With the long, sharp breath, Hope steadied herself and made a move. The shot came right away. She didn't even have time to aim, let alone fire. But then she hadn't meant to. Let him waste his shot. And then came the sound she was waiting for. The metallic clicks of a reload. Everything moved in slow motion. She took aim, getting her first real view of the hunter. About thirty yards away. Red coat, face covered with a ski mask and goggles, holding a rifle which was half a second away from becoming dangerous again. She fired. 
it missed completely, carried off by the wind and disappeared into the white. She took shelter behind the pillar and drew another arrow. Four left. The next shot hit the other side of the pillar. Gotta make the next one count. Crunch, 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 crunch. Much faster this time. She bolted from behind the pillar, leaving a trail of bloody footsteps behind her, stumbled and fell onto her back while trying to shoot the arrow at him as he rushed her. All this for a rabbit, she thought as the butt of the rifle came down hard right in the middle of her forehead, robbing her of the partial dark and replacing it with the complete one. Daddy was strict but nice. He taught her how to plow and sow the field. He taught her how to fish, how to drive the tractor, how to shoot, how to hunt, how to dress and clean a kill. Daddy made her read scripture every day, no excuses. When she was finished, she'd start again. Daddy said the world was going all to hell thanks to the rosary rattlers, the heathen liberals, the Jews, the Muslims, and the queers. Well, he was right about things going to hell, at least. Only this hell had frozen over. They didn't have a TV, but Daddy kept a radio for emergencies. The voices said that the ice caps had melted and released diseases trapped for millions of years. Then, one day, the radio voices stopped. Then there was only one country, one land. Its flag was white, but it didn't surrender. Daddy said, We done fucked this world up so bad it's fucking us back. He said that the end times had come with ice rather than fire. That reminded her of a poem by Robert Frost that she had read in the school library. Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction ice is also great and would suffice. Daddy made her do things, not for himself, never for himself, but to replenish the earth. It said so right in the book of Genesis when Lot had lain with his daughters. There was never any joy in it for him. He was just doing right by God. She wasn't sure she believed him, but she didn't hate him, could never hate him. After all, he gave her Adam, and together, no matter how cold the world had become, they were a family. Daddy went out hunting one day, six years ago, and since then, he was gone. When Hope woke, it was to the feel of something she hadn't known in so long that she had nearly forgotten it. Warmth. The crackle of a fire came from behind her, heating the backs of her arms and neck. So nice. Such a relief she could have cried. The wind was gone now, diminished from its constant howl to a distant whisper somewhere off to her right. Even more distant now that it was behind the soft guitar notes of a bossa nova tune trickling through the room, refined and alien to her even before the freeze. Everything was numb, a sensation she had grown familiar with 
thanks to frequent sub-zero temperatures and frostbite. This was different, though. Barely any feeling at all from the waist down, and she couldn't feel her left leg at all. Probably a good thing, considering that was the foot that had been shot. But the rest would almost certainly be blistered and black this time. Might even lose a toe. Her cheeks, the bridge of her nose, anywhere the wind could slip through, burned. Oh, the tragic irony in the fact that cold could burn, reminding her of that poem again. The fireplace cast a shadow play against the surfaces of everything in front of her, the dim orange glow now keeping the odious blue dark of night at bay. Her vision was blurry to a point of near invisibility, but she could just make out candles on a table. Others sat around it, not moving, but looking her way. Her head throbbed with a dull but persistent pain throughout her head. It would have been far worse had it not been for the drugs pumping through her bloodstream. She smelled clean. Soap mixed with a vague but unmistakable antiseptic smell of iodine. Liquid water being a tough enough thing to get in the first place, she hadn't had the luxury of a bath in a long time. For a moment, she thought everything might be okay. She flexed her muscles, meaning to reach up and rub the haze from her eyes, only to find her arms strapped down to those of the chair she was in. A belt around her midsection held her tight to the back of it. Footsteps approached. Same pace as before, only minus the crunch of snow, replaced by the jingling of keys. Ah, you're awake came a slightly nasal voice just beyond the cloud of her vision. He placed something in the middle of the table. Her nostrils were filled with the savory smell of cooked meat, garlic, and rosemary. Came around the table past one of the other guests, who still hadn't moved or spoken since she regained consciousness, and knelt down next to her, bearded and balding, a bit sickly, as though his face had once been fuller. Nothing much to look at aside from his kind brown eyes. It all felt shallow, though. Thin ice in April. What's your name? Hope, she answered with little breath. Hope, he echoed, soothed by the very sound of it. Perfect. His hands went to her face, roughened and calloused from years of being forced to use them. But like his face, it was only on the surface. The palms still held some semblance of their former refinement. They had once been treated, cared for, precise. Vapor trails streamed out from the candles as he guided her head upward, tickling her face from the slight tremor that shook his fingers. A thumb pulled down the bottom lid of one eye, and then the other. How are you feeling? Dizzy, she said. Hmm. You will for a little while, but the anesthetic should be wearing off soon. He stood, rattling the key ring clipped to his belt, and went around to the other end of the table. Well, I hope you're hungry, because we've got a proper feast tonight. Feast? The word felt foreign on her lips. Oh, yes. It's not every day we have a guest for dinner, is it, kids? But where are my manners? I'm Murray, and this is my family. Well? Her vision cleared up. 
Sitting on either side of a long dinner table sat two bodies, a boy of about ten and a girl about eight, dressed, groomed, a full set of cutlery set out before them. White plastic bags covered their heads, taped at the neck with blood smeared where the noses would be. Smiley faces were drawn on them in thick black felt marker. I guess it's our family now. The smile on his face was all too real. Kids, say hello to Hope, your new mother. She tried to flex, test the strength of leather straps holding her in place, praying for any sign of weakness in them. This time, her movement sent a tube connected to her hand, swaying. It was connected to an IV suspended above her from a stainless steel stand next to her. She followed it down to the floor and saw that the chair she was in had wheels on it. Some of the feeling returned to her legs. To one of them, at least. Oh, God, she said, looking at the steaming dish on the table. Where did that meat come from? Hope nudged herself away from the table and looked beneath. She saw only one leg. With her entire body and soul, she screamed. In pain. In sorrow. In hopes that someone would hear and come to help. But there was no one. I understand that you're upset, said Murray. But it needed to be amputated and, well, waste not. He cut himself off a piece with his fork and knife and began to chew. Not bad, actually. Anyway, you won't need it here. I'll take good care of you. I promise. Maybe he was right. Maybe this wasn't so bad. I'm tired of hunting. Tired of fighting. Tired of the cold. But... My boy! What boy? I... I have a son. He's out there, alone. Has been for days. Murray stood from his seat. Good God! Why didn't you say so? Must have slipped my mind, asshole. Did you hear that, kids? You're getting a new brother, too. Where is he? North... Northwest... Her head fell forward and hung. Chair legs squealed across the floor, followed by the same hurried footsteps as before. Hands trembling, he lifted her head up, thinking she had fainted. As soon as she caught a glimpse of his face close to hers, she lunged. Hope bit into the freshly shaved skin of his neck. He jerked away, but she held on for dear life with every tiny dagger in her mouth. They both collapsed to the floor, toppling both the wheelchair and the IV pole over. She fell on top of him, ripping and tearing back and forth until the jugular broke and the initial gush of blood became a torrent. His hands flew to his neck as he tried to stop the leak. Wailing as he climbed frantically to his feet, he rushed back to the other side of the table, grabbed a cloth napkin up, and pressed it against the wound. Why would you do that? Huh? Why? The cloth of the napkin had turned from white to red in no time. Oh, God. He hurried down the hall and disappeared. Assuming Murray could stop the bleeding... Hope figured she had two minutes before he returned. Hope spat what blood she had in her mouth onto the floor, careful not to swallow any. It was the first warm thing she had in her mouth in a long time. She didn't even mind the taste. And she was so hungry. No, not now. You went this long without resorting to that. Now is not the time. 
Still strapped to the wheelchair, she wiggled herself over to the blood she had spat and tried to get as much of it as she could on her hands. Not enough. From the bathroom down the hall, all she heard was things slamming and his wailing in pain and fear for his life as it poured out of him. She wiggled further to the trail of blood he'd left behind him, expecting any moment he might return, neck bandaged towering over her with something blunt and nasty to pound what was left of her to death. Hand sufficiently wet now, thankful for the small blessing of not having to look at it, Hope twisted her wrist against the leather strap and freed herself of it. With one bond gone, the other was no problem, nor was the belt around her waist. She grabbed a knife from the table and crawled on her elbows beneath it, hunched and waiting for him to reappear. Come on, she fumed. Come on, you fucker. Every second he didn't show, the more she felt it coming. Come on. No more sound came from the bathroom. Eventually, she realized that it was going to stay that way and was lost to quiet sobs. Can I just lay here by the fire? She thought. That's all I want. Warmth and heat. A world of lovely golden light and no more of the cold. And lay there she did, allowing herself a few precious moments of this small pleasure. It stretched out into the longest, most unbearable sigh. Cruel, really. Because it could not last. Hope crawled out from under the table, flipped the wheelchair back upright, and, after a few failed attempts, hoisted herself into it. Carefully, slowly, she wheeled herself down the hall. He could still be alive. She knew that. He could be crouched, quietly waiting for her to come to him. But she needed those keys. Without them, the journey back home would be impossible now. Not a sound from the other side of the door. Cautiously, she pushed it open with the knife. A quick peek inside before ducking back around the door jamb. No movement. No breath. She looked again and took in the few details she could see properly. White and black tiles laid out in a checkered pattern on the floor. Walls painted in a smooth eggshell, countertops of hard, mottled marble, and a real porcelain clawfoot tub at the far end. Everything in here bled, marred by smears and spatters of blood. It streaked over the rim of the bathtub where a single leg stuck out over the side, dripped off a hand that stood up in the air, its fingers twitching. Funny how this tiny show of movement confirmed his demise more than absolute stillness. Even so, she approached ready for anything, clutching the knife so hard it hurt. There he lay, drenched and red and lifeless, eyes still open, the expression on his face vacant, looking for something he would never see. His other hand rested on his thigh, holding a surgical needle fit with stitching. Too little, too late. He couldn't harm her now. He was no longer the hunter. Just another dead thing. Still, there was an eerily tragic way about him. A man looking for company, driven mad by loneliness, despair, solitude, and loss, ceased to be. She thought about crawling into his arms, now while he was still warm, 
just to feel it once more, an embrace. The feel of being in someone's arms again, even an enemy, even a corpse. To know it was real once again, and always had been. At least, that was how she saw him. It was a lot better than he deserved. Hope unclipped the keys from his belt. He moved in her mind, but nowhere else as she wheeled herself out the door, leaving him truly and finally alone. Back at the farm. Amazing she still saw it that way, even after all this time. It was little more than a frozen, broken-down husk of what had once been. The house was gone completely. Only the barn remained, and it was badly in need of repair. But it would always be where she fed chickens, where she played and swam, learned how to plant, how to grow, how to shoot, how to survive. Using the rifle as a crutch, she awkwardly got out of Murray's truck. Some silly part of her thought maybe, just maybe, the wind would relent just this once. But no, it bit into every haphazardly covered part of her all the same. She made her way into the barn. The roof was full of holes that had fallen in with the weight of snow and ice, snowflakes swirling down from above and the rest looked like it could go any time now. Thankfully, not much snow had covered the trap door to the shelter since she left, and clearing it away would not have been easy, standing on one leg. She gave the handle one unsteady tug and nearly lost her balance. The second time, it was flung open. Adam? she called. Adam, come quick! Mama needs your help! It was true. Not just to get into the shelter, but to get back to the penthouse to get whatever food, provisions, and supplies they could from it. She had kept him safe and sound up to this point, but with everything, she would need his help from now on. Far too much to ask of a boy of six. But now there was no choice. No response from inside. She began to hop down the stairs, bracing herself on her elbow along the railing. The rifle crutch missed the step it was supposed to land on, and she fell. Only a few steps, but now every inch of her hurt. On her side, she craned her neck upward and saw him sitting with his back to her not far away, still covered by the blanket she had wrapped around him herself, staring at a wood-burning stove of nothing but cold ashes. Adam? She choked out. Still no response. Hope crawled over to a nearby chair, covered with clothes and blankets she had found elsewhere, and hobbled over to where he was. At first, she thought he might still be alive, and tried to shake him awake. But there was no color left in his face. She couldn't even bear to say his name again. Hope took him in her arms and wept. Her boy. Her son. All she had left now also claimed by the cold. She rocked him back and forth, held tight against her breast. He was still warm, and she was so hungry. So hungry. This frigid tale appears in the Blood Rites Horror Anthology, 
Bitter Chills. Copyright February 2021. It was used here with permission from the author and publisher. This horrific collection is also getting a holiday edition release on December 5th, 2021. All 11 original stories will appear along with full-page illustrations to accompany each tale. There will also be bonus stories, sequels, a new introduction, and even an afterword by Christopher Badcock, the author of Those You Killed. All this, and yet I've only touched the tip of the proverbial iceberg. You don't want to miss this jam-packed release. And just in time for the holidays. Thanks for joining me, dear listeners. Into the Gloom will be back in December with Episode 7, Reflections on the King of Horror, with Calvin Ellis. But until then, as always, remember to leave a light on.